Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, good morning. It's good to see you. Um, my name is Kyle Beckrick, and I'll be teaching this class for the fall semester. Um, I don't know how many of you use PowerPoint, but one of my least favorite things in the world is making PowerPoints uh, because it's so hard to make a PowerPoint pretty, you know? Like, I don't know how to make these match, how to make them go along the same way. Uh, are people going to be able to read it when it gets on the screen? But PowerPoint now, I don't know, I don't know if anyone's used PowerPoint recently, but it formats the pictures for you. It's fantastic. So if you just enter in the words, it's like, here's 20 different designs to make your PowerPoint look amazing. Um, so if you want to know my secret, you, you, don't have, you don't have to do anything special. You just type in words and it'll look good. Um, but I want to spend this morning just giving you a little bit of an introduction of who I am and then where we're going for the class. So I have three goals for this morning that I'll get into uh, here in a second. Um, so I probably know most of you, uh, but I've lived in Evansville now for the last five years, and I'm on staff with Campus Outreach. Um, I grew up in northwest Indiana. Um, if you're from up there, we like to call it the region because we pretend that we're from Chicago, but we love all things Chicago, Bears, uh, White Sox, and I, I think I was telling Corey Ratcliffe this recently, uh, but the real Chicago fans are White Sox fans. If you meet a White Sox fan, they always like the Bulls, and they always like the Bears. And if you meet a Cubs fan, they're from, like, Oklahoma. And you're like, why are you a Cubs fan? Like, I, I don't know, but I just am. Um, I grew up up there, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Neither of my parents were or are believers. Uh, I never read the Bible growing up. I never attended a church for the first 18 years of my life. My parents instilled in me the idea that if you just... Be happy. Uh, if you pursue happiness at all costs, if you uh, get good grades and don't go to jail, you've lived a successful life. Um, it's funny. I mean, I mean, I'm not. It's probably funny, but I'm not joking. Like that is what I believe. Like if I just do good stuff and don't do bad things, I would have lived a meaningful life. Um, and I went to college in Indianapolis at IUPUI, and on my first day, I was moving into my dorm. Um, and a guy, it's crazy to get emotional about this. I was just giving you an introduction. But um, I mean, it's just amazing to think that this guy loved me enough uh, to play flag football with me <laughs> and tell me about Jesus. And I mean, it's crazy uh, to think that just the, the privilege of diving into God's word with you this morning, all because of a 22-year-old who wanted to step out in faith and, and share the gospel with a freshman. Um, and it's so, it's so funny, actually. Uh, he is a high school teacher now, and two of his students are playing in our basketball league uh, at USI this year. It's like, you know, uh, it's like, wow, I'm getting old. Wow. Uh, but, I mean, I mean, it's really special, and, you know, just praying that uh, God would continue to work in the hearts of college students. Um, but my freshman year, I... I guess you could call it like an, an epiphany or just kind of like a real realization. But I just, I thought, man, this guy told me about Jesus. I've wanted nothing to do with the things of Christianity. And there's 2,000 other guys that are going to be coming to IUPUI next year who are just like me. 
no hope, uh, no meaning, purpose, no security as far as their eternity goes. And if they're anything like me, no one, no one is going to go to them. You know, there's a couple of guys who are playing flag football on this campus and, you know, a handful of others who are telling other people about Jesus, I, I just want to do the same thing. Um, and that's how I decided to live my life in, in college. And when I graduated, God uh, gave me the opportunity to do it for full time. Um, and I got a call from a guy named David Burns who said, Skilly, you ever heard of Evansville, Indiana? And I go, I've heard of it, never been there. And he's like, pack your bags because you're moving to Evansville. Uh, and five years ago, I married my wife and moved into Copper Creek on the west side of Evansville. Uh, and for the first year, I was like, what, what happens in this city? Uh, the, the, everything in downtown closes at 2 p.m. Uh, there's only one restaurant that people go to, and it's Los Bravos. Um, but Jen and I have, uh, we have loved living here the last five years. We've loved ministering at USI. We've loved attending Faith Bible Church. Um, there's a picture of my family. Oh, I'm supposed to do this myself. See that cool format on that slide, though? Um, and, and that's our family there. So it's my wife, Jen. Uh, Jen and I uh, have been married for four years, but she's been attending Faith Bible for 10 years. Uh, so her four years in college and uh, the six years since. We have two kids, Cora and Griffin. Uh, we love them so much. We're so thankful to be here. And uh, I'm currently attending my third year at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. Um, almost halfway done with my MDiv. So... Um, I don't consider myself an expert uh, in theology or in anything like that, but I love uh, what I'm going to be talking about for the next couple months, and I, I really hope and pray that it will be helpful for us. So, um, is that readable? See what I mean? You never know. It should have made those words bigger. Um, okay, uh, so I'm going to give us some goals, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the content. Okay, so here are our goals for today. I want to accomplish three things. So the title of this class is called The Doctrines of Grace, Treasuring the Supremacy and Sovereignty of God. And I just want to give an explanation for why I titled the class that. Um, you may not know what the doctrines of grace are. Uh, you may not know why that should lead to treasuring the sovereignty and supremacy of God. And so I just want to explain um, why the class is titled that way and why that those words um, are significant for us as believers. Secondly, I want to give a brief summary of the five solas, which uh, are hanging to my left and are clearly a significant aspect of uh, what we believe about the things of God. And then finally, I just want to give an explanation for why the subject of this class matters to us today as 21st century Christians. Uh, why is it important for us to open up God's word and uh, see Latin words and think this matters to me? Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll accomplish those things. And more than anything, today is the only time during this class that it's going to be a broad overview of where we're going, what we're doing, and then each week uh, it'll be a lot more specific on each of these solas. So let me pray, and uh, we'll get into it. Lord God, we're just so thankful for grace. God, we're so thankful, God, that we're able to open up your word, God, that we're able to seek you in the scriptures. God, just thankful for Christ. God, thankful that you came down the mountain. God, that you saw us in our sin and saved us. God, and I just pray for us, God, as we open up your word and as 
Uh, we seek to know you more intimately, God, that you would help us to do that. Um, God, through this, through this content, through this church, God, through our personal time with you, God, help us to glorify you in all that we do. Um, God, just pray, um, God, that that, um, that change in our life would lead uh, not just to an inner heart change, God, but to an outward um, light to the world. Um, God, may that be true for us today and, uh, God, for the rest of our lives. In your son's name I pray, amen. Okay, so how do you discern in your life what is worth fighting for? What is worth fighting for to you? When you think about all the areas of your life, all the things you spend your time doing, the things you think about, the things you pray about, the things you spend money on, the things you spend time doing, out of all of those areas, 24 hours of the things that you're doing in your life, what would you fight for? Ooh, this rolls. Um, throughout history, we can look at so many causes for things that have been fought for. Some causes that have been amazing and others that we look back on in terror. Why was this fought for? Why was this something that was championed in history? And a few of those things that we can look on is, is the Declaration of Independence, right? A cause that was fought for, for our country to have freedom, the freedom of speech, the freedom of press, the freedom to worship. It was a cause that was fought for. Another one more recently than you'd think is a, woman, a woman's right to vote. In the last hundred years, men and women got together and fought for a cause. They thought, we are people, and we have meaning, and we should be able to vote. Rosa Parks would not give up her seat on a bus because she thought all men and women are created equal. And most recently, uh, storming Area 51. We're all going to band together and really figure out what the government is doing. Throughout history, causes have been fought for. Some silly, but some significant. And this morning, I just want to make a case that the greatest cause that we can fight for, and there are good causes uh, that we should stand for in this world, but the greatest cause is in light of our eternities and standing for truth in the midst of that. And this class, in a lot of ways, was built on a cause. And, and we don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the Reformation, but naturally, because of the content, we will. Uh, that 500 years ago, there was men who stood for a cause. And that cause was, we believe that the Scripture should be elevated above men. And we believe that we're saved by our faith and not the things that we do. And that they believed eternities were at stake. That if the average person did not have the Bible in their hands, that they would not be able to understand the things of God. Um, and the doctrines of grace were formalized as a result of that stand or of that fight. And so that leads us into the series, the doctrines of grace. And so I'm going to break down the title of this class, and the, the way that I'm going to do that is five key words. Doctrine, grace, treasuring, sovereignty, and supremacy. And I hope as a result of that, you'll see this is why this class matters. This is why the things that uh, are being taught matter not just uh, for two hours on a Sunday morning, but every time that I open up God's word, every time that I talk to God, every time that I see a brother or sister in Christ or interact with the lost, that I see this matters. So doctrine. Doctrine is an interesting word in the 21st century. Um, here at Faith Bible Church, we 
we love to talk about doctrine and the things that we believe about God, but that is, that is not how the rest of the world would function with this word. They would, they would see the word doctrine and think that that uh, is a sort of dogma that puts me in a box, that you're not letting me uh, learn the way that I want to or believe the things that I want to, but I have to hold to a specific doctrine. But the reality of doctrine is, is we all believe in doctrine. We all hold to a doctrine. We all subscribe to a doctrine because simply what a doctrine is, is it's a belief or understanding that's held by a person or church. So each one of us, whether we would know it, subscribe to a certain doctrine or a certain belief system about who God is. And often the reason why people don't like this is because they say, I don't need doctrine. All, all I need is Jesus. And that is a doctrine to say that I, I don't need to have certain belief systems or you know, thoughts, but all I need is Jesus. It's a doctrine. Uh, it's a doctrinal statement, and, and the reality is, is that statement is more complex, right, than it sounds. It's just a few words, I need Jesus, uh, but the ramifications of that statement um, are significant. That quick pause, I didn't say this. Um, Feel free to stop me and ask questions. Uh, if you disagree with me, I would love for you to let me know. And uh, I don't know if that's appropriate, but I, I, I think it'd be, I, I think this is a class and uh, I don't view myself as this elevated teacher figure. Ernie, Ernie said that if I say anything he disagrees with, he's just gonna open up the baptismal and I'm just gonna fall in there. So uh, <laughs> since I don't think any of you will do that, then I think uh, just raise your hand and, and we can talk about it. Um, so, just a quick pause. And, and this. Okay. But doctrine affects our understanding of, and, and typically you think of like a Wayne Grudem book, Systematic Theology. If you were ever to open up that book, what you would find is all of the ways that we have uh, theology. Is a simple way to say it. So our theology of God, our theology of man, our theology of Jesus, our theology of ethics, and that's what doctrine does, is, is doctrine affects our understanding of who God is. It affects our understanding of who we are. It affects our understanding of salvation. And it affects our understanding of ethics. So think of a statement, a doctrinal statement would be something like, uh, God is love. And you hear that, and without a further explanation, you could tell that to 10 people on the streets, and they could come to 10 different conclusions about what that means for God to be love. Uh, to someone, it could mean that God is so loving that hell does not exist, or God is so loving that he will allow sinners to live unrepentant lives. So someone could come to that conclusion by a broad doctrinal statement. But the reality of what that statement means is under the examination of Scripture, what we see is that God is love because he saves sinners, right? That God is love because in Bryce's sermon, like he talked about, that Jesus came down the mountain. And when it comes to doctrine, we need to have a broader understanding of what each of these things mean, but also um, the implications of them. So um, here is a dartboard. It was actually really hard to find one of those on Google Images, um, but that is a dartboard. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about doctrine and what and what and why doctrine matters in different categories based on this. So you may have heard something similar like this before. 
but you can break up the significance of doctrine in three different ways. Primary, secondary, and convictions. So that center bullseye, to, to use the illustration, would be all areas pertaining to the Christian life that are primary. You cannot, have, you cannot take one of these things out and still have a Christian. So a few of these things would be man is sinful. In order to understand uh, what it means to be a Christian, you have to understand that man is sinful. God is holy. Jesus is God. And this may seem arbitrary, but it's, it's significant. Jesus came to redeem sinners. The Bible is God's word. Very standard things you've heard probably a thousand times, but those are primary uh, aspects of doctrine or theology. Areas that are secondary, these are typically views that uh, would say th- this is the universal church, but this is how denominations can be, can be broken up. Uh, eschatology, your views of the end times, how, how Jesus will come back. Uh, views on sacraments, on, on baptism, whether you baptize adults or infants, um, those are secondary. And the reason why you can come to a distinction is because primary, if you take it out, you lose the gospel. That's the best way to, co- to come to this doctrinal understanding. So if you take out Jesus redeems sinners or man is sinful, you lose the gospel. These are areas that pertain to salvation. Secondary is where we differ among brothers and sisters. Um, and then convictions, obviously, would, would be, uh, you know, sh- uh, I'm not going to give any convictions because they're convictions. Uh, so, um, so where concern arises in doctrine is when you begin to take out primary things and insert secondary things. So if you say something along the lines of, in order to be a Christian, you must be baptized. You know, that, that would fall under, you know, what we would called heresy, potentially. Um, And so if you must believe this is going to happen at the end times in order to be saved, you know, we would say that is not essential to the gospel. What is essential to the gospel is an understanding that God is perfect and holy, that I am not, and that Jesus came to redeem sinners. Um, That is is the gospel. Um, So doctrine matters. Uh, doctrine matters because the way that you view God, the way that you view yourself, and the way that you view others is under this umbrella of God's word. Second thing is grace. Um, I, I gave a few quotes from a few different pastors and theologians here that I think will be helpful, and then I'll, I'll share my favorite with you, and then why I think grace matters and why uh, the doctrines of grace are, are called what they are. B.B. Warfield says, Grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. It's an amazing quote. John Sock, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Jerry Bridges says, grace is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. And R.C. Uh, gives my favorite, uh, mostly because I think it's so simple yet so profound, but he says, grace is unmerit. Grace is unmerit. And I was, I was talking to my D group about this a couple days ago, and you know, that, that word merit is not uh, a common word now, but I, I wasn't, a, was anyone a Boy Scout in here? Yes, we got a couple Boy Scouts. So Boy Scouts, you are in a merit badge, right? So a merit badge is like, if you tie this knot, or if you build a campfire, you get a badge. And I don't know if it's that simple, but you know, you get the point. You do this, you get the badge. 
It's, it's such an easy way to understand merit, right? Perform this task and you get the badge. Unmerit is the opposite. You don't perform the task, but you still get the badge, right? That's what grace is. is it's being a Boy Scout, getting all the badges without actually doing any of the work. Um, and that's what we see uh, in the gospel, is we are the unmerit. We, we do nothing that impacts our salvation, yet God comes in the form of Jesus and performs the work. He ties the knot. He builds the campfire and then says, here's the batch, right? He lives the perfect life. He dies the death we deserve and says, here is my favor. Uh, God sees Jesus when he looks on those who have been redeemed. Um, so when we look at the doctrines of grace, what we're seeing is these are doctrines that pertain to unmerit. The faith, grace, Christ, Scripture, the, the things we do not deserve, yet God gives them to us uh, because of his grace. Undeserved favor from, from God. Treasure. Uh, so open up your Bible to Matthew thirteen forty four. So this is a parable that Jesus tells uh, about a man who finds treasure in a field. Um, so the analogy, or the metaphor that I want to give here, or that Jesus gives... Jesus is specifically giving this to give an illustration of what the kingdom of heaven will be like. Um, but the word treasure is a fascinating word, right? Because treasure is not just a noun. So the noun treasure is uh, the buried treasure in the field. But treasure is also a verb that means to, to love something dearly or to hold fast to. And it's an interesting word because if you ever had treasure, you would treasure it, Right? Uh, that's why it's, it's such a great word because you know the meanings correlate with one another. So um, I just want to go through this verse that I think is incredibly profound and meaningful uh, because I think what Jesus is talking about here is the gospel. But I think there are some uh, ways that this relates to our understanding of who God is and and how we can go forward holding fast to the truth of Scripture. So Matthew thirteen forty four, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. One verse, deeply profound. I just want to give three observations from this verse. Um, so the first thing is, is the man sees the treasure. The man finds the treasure. You might think, that is really arbitrary. Uh, but what ends up happening as a result of the man seeing the treasure is so profound. And I think, for me, I look back uh, at moments in my Christian life where I think I've seen treasure, you know? Where I've seen the majesty of who God is. I've experienced his grace by thinking and reflecting on, I cannot believe Christ loves me. Why would he die for me? Why would he be so gracious to me to send someone to tell me about him? I don't, I don't deserve this. Uh, in moments in my life where Man, God provided a wife that loves the Lord, and that is amazing. Uh, God, and you, you think, uh, and more than anything, you look back and reflect on the gospel when you see it and you understand it. And then what that does is, and we see it in the man, is he goes and sells all that he has to get the treasure. 
is that in light of every other part of his life, he's willing to give it all up for the treasure. And, you know, you make the metaphor more realistic. Uh, so if I told Jen, Jen, I could, I could get a million dollars. There's a million dollars waiting for me, and all we have to do is sell our house and our cars. And Jen would probably think I was insane and that I'd clicked on something I shouldn't have online about winning some sweepstakes uh, where you're all getting Facebook messages from me for like the next couple weeks. Uh, it happens. Um, but the, the, you know, I'm not a millionaire, so you know, the, the return on that investment if Jen and I sold our house and our cars would be profound, right? We would, we would get a lot of money. So it, it's a no-brainer, right? Jen, put up the house. We've got to have a real estate agent somewhere here. Is that in the handyman survey, real estate agent? Because I'm going to let you sell my house. Uh, because we're going to get a million dollars, and this is all we have to give up. And this is the same picture when we think about the things of eternity, is what we give up here on earth is such a small piece in light of the gospel. You give up favor among men. You give up seeking uh, possessions that have, have ruled your life. Uh, you give up searching after man's approval. And those things are hard, right? Uh, for all of us who have came to Christ, we've, we've had to repent from our sin, and that's hard. Uh, this is the, the way we've lived our life for X amount of years, and now I'm turning from my sin. All of my friends are still doing it, and I'm turning. All my coworkers talk like this, and I'm turning. It's hard, but it's worth it. The return is worth it. Um, and that's what we see in the man, is he sees the treasure, and he's willing to sell it all. But it's not just that he sells it. It's not just that he sells it all. But he sells it in his joy. And that is amazing, right? You, you think about when Jesus said this, and it's like he could have easily just said he goes and sells it all. But he says in his joy, he sells all that he has. And I think this is a great summary of what it means to treasure the things of God and his word, is that it should always lead to joy. So when you open up God's word, I'm not promising that every time you open it and read something, so if you go read Romans 9 after you leave here, that you're not going to have like the, the happiest experience of your life. But I think meditating on the promises of God and in Christ should lead to joy in your life. Um, treasuring the gospel should always end in joy. So treasure. Um, and I think that is my goal of this class, is that ultimately we would be treasuring the promises of God and his word. Uh, that if that's all that happened as a part of this class, you don't remember uh, much about the five solos or much about the five points of Calvinism, but you're treasuring the gospel uh, by 10 o'clock every Sunday that we're going into worship, uh, meditating, worshiping, and being grateful for Christ. Uh, that'd be a great Sunday morning. Yeah, Dan? Mm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to summarize it. So trusting in Christ should lead to no regrets. It was worth it. It was worth the cost. Two characteristics that I want to look at uh, throughout this class, I think, summarize the doctrines of grace or the sovereignty of God. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam 
does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit, as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff from the hand of the winnower, no one knows what that word means, uh, is steered as the stars in their courses. The creeping of an aphid over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. The fall of leaves from a poplar is as fully ordained as the tumbling of avalanches. It's amazing. I sometimes read quotes by Spurgeon. I'm like, how do people think like that? Like, you know, it's like, is that just like you're journaling and you're looking out your window and you're like, but I mean, it's amazing like to, to think that just looking out your window can lead to worship. Like, man, God is in control of every piece of dust that is flowing through my house. We don't have dust because we vacuum, but uh, just kidding. Um, but what does the sovereignty of God show us? Three things. The sovereignty of God shows us that he knows. Yes, that he knows. Um, Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You could read that verse, and it's either one of the most terrifying verses in all of Scripture, that no aspect of your life is hidden. You want it to be, and sometimes you think it is. But no part of you is hidden from the eyes of God. Or it could be one of the most reassuring, that no part of my life is hidden, yet God still loves me the same. It's amazing. It's an amazing promise, um, all based on if you know Christ or not. And often, uh, we, we think about knowledge when we think about other people, and you know, tomorrow, tomorrow is a really special day for me. Um, not so special for Jen, but special for me. So it is the 10th year, 10th anniversary of my um, North Newton Fantasy Football League. Uh, North Newton is where I went to high school. And me and these 13 other guys have been doing this Fantasy Football League together for 10 years. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Uh, and every year I drive up to near Chicago, we get a huge draft board, put it on the wall, and we spend like six hours drafting our fantasy football teams. Um, and we love it. Uh, I, I think back to the, the t last 10 years of my life. The only thing that has stayed the same is this fantasy football league. Uh, I've, 10 years ago, I wasn't a Christian. I became a Christian. 10 years ago, I wasn't married. I wasn't a parent. The only thing that stayed the same is I play in this fantasy football league one day a year. Um, and when it comes to fantasy football, I know a lot of things. I could probably tell you the top 200 projected players for this year, what position they play, what their projected touchdowns are going to be, their yards, receptions, all these things. Take it very seriously. Um, I know a lot about fantasy football in the NFL. I love it. It's a lot of information. But you think about knowledge, and it's really not that significant when it comes to the human mind, right? Like, it's cool, right? Most of you are probably like, no, that's not cool. That's a waste of your time. Uh, and, and I will accept that rebuke. Uh, but we, as humans, our, our minds are so fragile. We really never know that much. You may be smart next to the person to your left or to your right, and if you're sitting next to your spouse, you say, you're the smart one. Um, Jen, you're the smart one. Uh, but when we look at this passage, we see God's knowledge. And that knowledge is not an external, uh, I know that you're going to eat scrambled eggs today, but it's knowing the thoughts, desires, intentions of our hearts. 
It's knowing every action before we perform it. It's knowing our intention behind every word we say. Um, And that knowledge discerns, right? And that knowledge is something that we're going to have to give an account for um, when we stand before God one day. Um, When Hebrews said that Hebrews says that we must give an account that each one of us will stand before God and say, this is what I'm bringing. And you either stand on the rock, which is Christ, or stand um, on everything that God knows about you. And that is why um, that verse is so significant. God is sovereign because he knows. But secondly, he's sovereign because he controls. Psalm 135, 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and the seas and all the deeps. So either God is in control of things or he is not. Like that Spurgeon quote says, either God is in control of the dust or he's not. He is either, he can either intervene for your prayers or he cannot. He can either save your soul or he cannot. And the way that we view God's sovereignty will control the way that we pray. If we believe God can change things, we'll pray. And if we believe God can intervene, we're going to come to him. And if we believe God can change hearts, we're going to go share our faith. But if we don't believe those things about who God is, we're not going to pray. We're not going to share our faith. We're not going to read our Bibles because we don't believe God is in control. But if you believe what Psalm 135 says, the Lord does whatever he pleases. And he's in control of all of our hearts. He's in control of every aspect of his knowledge. Um, Everything that he knows about you and about me, uh, we can come to him. And I think why this is all so significant is because we believe that God loves. We see this in Titus 3, 3 through 5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit. So in this passage, we see who we are before we trust in Christ. Uh, Verse 3 gives us all those characteristics. That was each one of us before God saved us. Disobedient, slaves to passions, hated by others and hating one another. It's who we were. And we did nothing to change that. We didn't just wake up one day saying, I'm not going to disobey anymore. And then you perfectly obeyed from that moment on. Probably most of us have said something like that, right? Like, today is the last day I'm ever going to think like that or do that. And from here on, I'm going to maintain living this moral life. And it never happens. And thank God that we weren't made to do that. Uh, That God came down in Christ and saved us. That we have a God who knows everything about us. We have a God who is in control of every aspect of life. And yet we have a God who loves who sees people without any merit and steps in and saves. That's the sovereignty of God. But yet we have, we have a supreme God. Um, and simply put, uh, I just wanted us to have two things in mind when it came to supremacy, or when it comes to supremacy. Uh, the first is when we look up to see who God is, and in light of when we see who God is, our view of ourselves. I, I think the best uh, we're running out of time, so I'm not going to have you flip there, but Isaiah 6 is the best picture of this. So 
uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah goes into a place, high and lifted up, he sees God, cherubim sing, holy, holy, holy. And what does he say when he looks at God? He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, right? When you see the majesty and greatness of who God is, you begin to see who we are. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when we think of the supremacy of God and we think of savoring the supremacy of God, it's savoring his greatness. This is who God is. He has the power to save. He has the power to do anything in his will. And it's looking at ourselves, seeing us for who we are. Made in God's image, it's amazing. But also seeing that we fall completely short of that glory and that we're in need of redemption in light of that. So that's why I titled the class that way. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone summarize a class title before, but I thought it was, I thought it was significant um, for an overview of what we're doing. So for the next five weeks, uh, I'll, I'll be doing three of these, and Caleb Patton will be doing a couple of them, but we're going to go through the five solas. Uh, each week on a Sunday morning, you probably don't even think about it anymore, but there's a banner that's, I don't even know how tall that is, but it's big because you can read it, um, that hangs on the wall that says five different phrases. And you maybe you may know what they mean. Uh, faith alone, right, translates it. Uh, but why? Could you say why we believe in faith alone? Yeah, faith but not works. But can you, can you open up God's word and say, this is why I believe this, and this is why I know this is true, uh, because not every Christian, hold my word, choose my words carefully here, not every person holds to that. And there are deep implications to the way that we view God and view uh, God's word in light of those five phrases. If you believe that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, it will dramatically impact the way that you view who God is and how you view yourself. So, where did these souls come from? Uh, not big into history, but I'll give you just a, a brief overview of the Reformation. Uh, 1517, Martin Luther famously nailed the 95 Theses to the church door of Wittenberg. Uh, this, is, this was an academic practice at the time, to nail something to a church door. Uh, I often would think, like, this is so dramatic. Like, I'm just going to start nailing things to Faith Bible's door when I come here. Like, great sermon, Bryce. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, th this, this was, you know, L Luther was not just a monk, but a scholar. And what, what this 95 Theses was, was it was a series of disagreements uh, with the Roman Catholic Church, who controlled not only the church at the time, but the state. Uh, and there was a wide range of disagreements in the 95 Theses. I, I mean, ev everything from uh, the role of the Pope to purgatory to repentance, um, faith, and we look back at the Reformation and say, this is, you know, there was a lot of uh, things happening around this time, but this is what sprung the Protestant Reformation. And at the core of the, the Reformed arguments were three uh, battle cries. Um, I almost wanted to title this class Battle Cries, uh, but I, I didn't think it would flow super well with, you know, where we were going. Uh, but these, these were known as the, the cries of the Reformation. Um, Sola Scriptura. So this is the idea that uh, Scripture is held over man, and Scripture is held over tradition, that we have to have an authority for what we believe and why we believe it. And we have two options. 
It's either going to come from man or it's going to come from God's word. Um, so this is the belief that all we need um, to have an understanding of God comes from his word. Second is sola fide. So this is faith over works. So the idea that we are saved not by things that we do, but rather um, our faith in who Christ is. And then finally, grace. And this is the idea of grace over merit. You know, those things that I was talking about earlier, the, the Roman Catholic Church would teach that um, as you obeyed or as, as you go through sacraments, you would, you would gain merit as a result of those. And that merit would grant you favor before God. But rather, we'd say the only reason that we have favor um, is by grace alone. And the key word to those five solas is, is not the, the word faith or grace or Christ, but it's rather the word alone. Um, because many people believe in those things, uh, but they believe that they coexist with scripture and tradition or faith plus works or grace plus merit. But what set the Reformation apart was the word alone, that all we need to know who God is is God's word. And all that saves us is faith. And we don't need merit. We just need grace. Um, so that's what we're going to be examining for the next five weeks is uh, each of those words, scripture, faith, grace, but with the word alone. Why can we be saved by faith alone? And, and so on. Um, man, that is a good format on a slide right there. I could have never made that by myself. Okay. Why does this matter to me? First, truth is on the line. As a result of studying God's word in regards to the things of salvation, truth is on the line. Um, I, I gave you a couple either or scripture, tradition, faith, or works. Your understanding of these concepts will make a dramatic impact on, on your understanding of truth and salvation. Um, but it's also going to make an impact on you know, I, I don't want to jump ahead on some of these points, but just the way you talk with people and, and the way that you can uh, stand firm for what you believe in and not that you are uh, going to just be a trivial uh, arguer, but rather it's like, this is why I, believe, why I believe this and here's where I think God's word teaches about it, um, especially in regards to the things of eternity. And we all as God's people should be able to, to provide a defense for the things that we believe. And so I'm hopeful that... Um, you'll understand that. And it, under, it makes an impact on our understanding of who God is. And kind of hit on this earlier, but, and, you know, we'll get throughout, through this through the semester. But if you believe that God controls all things and knows all things, um, it's going to dramatically view the way that you worship him on Sunday mornings. And it's going to make a dramatic impact on the way that you parent your kids, um, believing that God is the one who is going to change my son or daughter's heart and my coworker and my neighbor in the way that you're going to shepherd your family and your friends and your coworkers in light of that um, is significant. But it also um, makes an impact on the way that you view yourself. Um, makes an impact on the way that you view your sin. Um, makes an impact on the way that you're going to share your faith. Um, it's going to make an impact on the way that you pray for the lost. If that you believe that God, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, can use you, but at the end of the day, doesn't need you. Um, is an amazing promise and amazing truth. Um, okay, so I'm excited for the next couple months, and here's where we're going. Um, so the next five weeks, we'll be doing the five solas, and then I will give an introduction into, into the five points of Calvinism, and I will go through each of those on, on the back end of this closer to Thanksgiving. 
Uh, and I'm really excited for this. I, I hope it's helpful for, for each of us in edifying and that um, as Mike Schaus and the worship band comes up here at and, you know, 1010, that this would be stirring our hearts for the things of Christ. So with that in mind, are there any questions about things I talked about today or content or where we're going or uh, anything like that? If you don't ask questions, I'm either going to assume you understood nothing I said or you don't like me. Uh, so I promise I won't take it that personal, but uh, it'll be something like that. Because usually when I'm in like a back of a class and the teacher asks, are there any questions? I'm like, oh, wow, the last hour just went by. It's amazing. But seriously, uh, any questions on any of this content? Oh, yeah. Hey, Bryce. Yeah, I, I tried uh, to give my best understanding of it in those definitions so that these are the views and understandings of the unmerit. So these, these are unmerited beliefs uh, that we believe that God is in control and in charge and that we are undeserving of each of these. And, you know, this is the idea of being saved by faith alone but because we believe that we're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone, we're undeserving of all of those things. And that's, that's what grace is, right? When you, know, you sing the song Amazing Grace, what's, what's so amazing about grace is that you are a sinner, un, undeserving of any uh, love or affection from God because you've lived in disobedience, yet God comes in and saves you as in the midst of your sin, Romans 5.8. Um, the reason they're called the doctrines of grace is because these are, um, you know, areas of life that are undeserved, um, and we hold fast to those truths. So, I don't know if that's a good answer. I didn't, I, you know, I tried to Google, where did the doctrines of grace come from? And it does, I don't know. It's a mystery. Uh, so, anything else? Okay. I'll pray, and um, yeah, we'll get ready for worship. Lord God, we just come to you. God, thankful for grace. God, thankful, God, that we, um, we don't merit um, any of the truths that we talked about this morning, God, that even on our best day, God, we fall so short of your glory, God. And I just pray, God, that we would be men and women, God, who treasure um, the truths of your word. God, that you are sovereign. God, that you know all things, you control all things, yet you love us. God, I pray that we'd be treasuring the supremacy of you. God, that we would see you high and lifted up. God, and that we would see ourselves, God, as completely dependent on you. Um, God, I pray that that's how we would live our lives, God, that we, um, in light of that, God would see that we don't deserve anything, yet that we want to extend grace and love to one another. God, ultimately pointing them to the one who is high and lifted up. God, would you help us to do that? God, just pray for um, God's word to be lifted up this morning in worship. God, that we would be able to fellowship with one another. Um, God, through singing, God, and preaching of your word. God, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.